1: Well, we're about to get a sneak peek on some of the best work and innovation that brands and agencies are doing in media, with three marketers who were judges for the 2023 MFA Awards. The shortlist for the annual showcase, which is out today, on my calculations, has about 29 different brands in the running for a gong, ranging from Lego, Samsung, NRMA, and Netflix to the Defence Forces, Suncorp, and Campari along with about 15 shortlisted agencies in which initiative, Essence MediaCom and OMD, have landed the biggest number of shortlisted entries. On the mics today to unpack the key observations, some good, some instructive, from judging the MFA awards is Arnett CMO Jenny Dill, Unilever's Director for Digital Marketing, Media and Commerce, Sarah Sorensen, and Lisa Ronson, former CMO at Coles and Westpac and now adjunct professor at Deakin Business School. Jenny and Lisa are also AANA board members. So let's hear from these marketers on what they liked and even lamented from this year's entries, keeping in mind that at best, CMOs probably spend 10% of their time on media. Sarah's obviously different, that gig, but often less on media, so they come with fresh eyes and less bias, perhaps. Uh, So welcome, Jenny, Lisa, and Sarah. Jenny Deal, let's start with your key observations on the entries that you saw for the current uh, round and the overall quality of work uh, and maybe just give us a, a heads up on the categories you judged. And welcome back, Ginny Dill. It's only been a couple of weeks, I think, since you've been on the my 3 podcast, but different subject matter.
0: Thanks, Paul. Um, thank you for having me back. The categories I judged this year in the MFA Awards were brand impact and also best content strategy. So two very, very different categories. What I liked overall is it felt like it was a year where there was a little bit of necessity being the mother of invention. So we saw some good levels of innovation, some really doubling down on what could have been much smaller ideas, but people really investing money, time, energy and effort to make them into something much bigger. For me, there there was in some cases daylight between the real standout entries that you just went, gee, I wish I'd done that. And then some of the longer list entries, but the ones that were the real standouts, I think as a judge, I, I, I wish I could have made all of them. And right. for me, there was, there was some big things in brand impact. You could really see uh, some innovation coming through, some really clear strategic thinking, and then also accessing the broader agency village to really make the sum of the whole far greater than the individual components would have, could have, should have been otherwise.
1: So just on that, um, we, we'll talk to the finalists in, in that uh, brand impact category, Jenny, which was Campari, Lego and NRMA Insurance. Of those, if you can recall, because it was a little while ago, but um, key uh, sort of standouts in, in those entries that got your attention?
0: You know, I love some of the innovation that came with the NRMA entry. Putting branding on the cricket pitch covers was just something I wish I'd done. I worked on Gatorade for years, right? I wish I'd done that. Um, right. So some really good innovation and in creating new media opportunities where there weren't uh, media before. I think from a Lego perspective, Lego's massive in our household, but seeing mm. the combination of Lego City and Nitro and just that cute that really really cool, amped up fun and imagination that came with it was was really exciting to watch. And then the the apparel case was really interesting for Campari because it was a much smaller budget and it was a very simple idea and simple event just really well executed that made you wish you could paint the town orange in your home every now and then and and bring aperol spritz and the the food the feeling and the mood that was in melbourne for that particular event into your life
1: the other entry or category you were judging was best content strategy content sort of uh, on the rise a lot uh, in for marketers and brands isn't it like it's really getting some attention what did you see in there that was um, of interest
0: what i really liked in that best content strategy category this year was there was a really clear strategic thought and something that had to be achieved, whether it was a finite period of time or whether it was a longer period of time, everything from launches to stunts that just created content and made something much, much bigger than it could have been. So that amplification, the working through the agency village to make sure you've got points where you're building between each of the disciplines to come out with something that's really fresh thinking and driving great impact you know, to see the Defence Force make a kids' quiz show was actually really exciting because it brought to life the STEM skills in a really fun and engaging way that didn't involve guns and very large heavy pieces of machinery.
1: Right, yeah. So it was
0: really fresh perspective for the Defence Force, for example.
1: And in, in that context, it was almost uh, kids in the schoolroom on the television screen in a show was the media idea there, right?
0: Correct. So they made, it, they made a TV program out of it and, you know, it ran on air and it had some great, great results behind it.
1: Yeah. The other two, so Defense Force, I should have mentioned the best content strategy shortlist is Defense Force um with UM, Netflix with WaveMaker, and uh, Amazon Prime with Initiative.
0: In the Netflix example, I really love the agency village collaboration. So it felt like there was five or six agencies mentioned on the nomination form. And that was the only form I saw where there was multiple agencies literally listed. And it felt like every single one of them had a great role in amplifying the work that was at the center of the content strategy to make it bigger and better all the way through to publishers. So it felt like a really well-integrated, well-thought-through idea that could have been just a one-off stunt on Bondi Beach, but became something much, much bigger as a result.
1: Jenny, so overall, the standard of work that you saw coming through in, in your categories, given that we're all coming out of last year, there was a lot of work come through last year, there's COVID, all sorts of change happening. What did you make of it versus you have been a judge before?
0: Yeah, so um, my observation was that it felt like everyone had to work a lot harder to get the results this year. So it felt like there had to be a bit smarter, sharper thinking. The budgets didn't look as big as they were in previous years. I've got to admit on the case studies that I read through, but it really felt like that innovation and fresh thinking had to be at the heart of delivering the breakthrough ideas that really got results and probably in tough times, when everything gets that little bit harder, just that that real fresh approach to thinking, really sharp strategic thinking, and then going all in on it seems to have been what's paid off in the in the cases I read.
1: How much is media on your radar? You know, I talked about ten percent. That's high for some. For you, what does it look like?
0: Yeah, that's high for me. Just in terms of the breadth of the roles in FMCG marketing, you are dealing with a lot of business issues and you're dealing with a lot of functions. It's an enjoyable part of my job. But it, it is definitely, it's probably around 5%, if I'm honest. It's on my yeah. mind all the time, but it's not what I spend my time doing. I have yes. I have people who, who really help us in that space, but it's it's not a big chunk of my time.
1: As a CMO, with all the things, the levers you've got to find growth and or defend growth, where do you view the role of media? Can it be a game changer? Is it a consistency that just underpins the business? What do you look at media to do for you at Arnott's?
0: The media has a real opportunity to be a massive game changer for your business in terms of just creating awareness and connection with consumers. There's a lot we do to get products on the shelf. There's a lot we do to make products taste great. But if no one's aware of it and no one has that immediate desire to go out and try your product or remind them how, how great something is, then... There's a lot of products sitting on the shelf not doing much, so yeah. and then, and then you rely on the sales tactics and the you know the the very very you know discounting oriented um, or promotional tactics that involve price and price alone. So for me, you've got to find the right balance between those two and just that awareness and that desire is really really important for us.
1: Sarah Sorensen, you have you're a little bit different because media is your life at Unilever, along with digital and commerce and all the other things you've got in your remit, but. Top line for you: the categories you judged and what your sort of top line thoughts are, Sarah. And welcome.
2: Thank you, Paul. So the categories I judged were best integrated campaign, best audio, and best events and experiential. So really being able to see some really specific media channel usage and some and total campaign effects as well. In terms of key outtakes. Similarly to Jenny, I saw collaboration. It's a long time since I've uh, judged the MFAs. So I judged about eight years ago. And then there was a big gap. And one of the things I really noticed this time was the amount of partnerships between agencies, uh, between brands um, and with publishers and the media. And really, though, that collaboration, in my view, was a critical part or critical driver of breakthrough execution and impact. So that was really great to see. I think another outtake for me were there some campaigns that really pushed the boundaries of what media is. So a lot of campaigns that didn't just have traditional paid media, but had really large parts um, of the campaign that were earned, that created new media touch points and really innovated around what media is. And I thought that was really great to see that, you know, maybe more traditional boundaries of or definition of media being, being challenged. And like Jenny, I saw lots of really fresh thinking, lots of innovation in the campaigns that sort of stood out for me. There was work that I, uh, categories that I've worked on in the past where I um. I definitely had that moment of feeling, I oh, wish I'd thought of that. I wish I'd done that campaign as well. So some real innovation.
1: What, give us one. on Without a question on notice, Siri, can you think of one you thought, oh, I wish I'd done that at Unilever?
2: Well, maybe not at Unilever, but uh, one of the campaigns in the audio category was uh, for whiskers and they used the, the sound of a cat's purr, which is scientifically proven. I won't
1: ask you to sort of uh, give us a sample. No, I'm not going to do that now, <laughs>
2: but that's scientifically proven apparently to relax. And they created these 3D audio ads, smart skills as well to sort of really create that that purr mm. that you had. You could record your own cat and create cat content, cat purr content. And and I just thought it was really innovative and something I wish I'd I'd thought to do in my career previously
1: cat owners are pretty into their cats right so and, yep. and fortuitously here that's the mars pet care one whiskers auto yep. per, uh, audio purrs from essence medicom and it's in the shortlist um sarah so uh, you picked that one well before you even knew they were shortlisted and so the other pieces of work there in audio let's go to that um just does anything sort of stand out in what lego and paramount plus which are the other two shortlisted uh, brands in the audio category anything else there that stood out
2: Yeah, I think in terms of the Lego one, I really saw that collaboration come through. So collaboration between the media agency, between the publisher um, and PR. And and again, they pushed the boundaries of what media is, created a full content series and branded entertainment and used that to deliver great results. And then with the Paramount one, which was for the art of, of drag, again, they had a really fresh and innovative use of that medium. So they had a digital radio station that they created, podcasts um, and radio segments with the kind of host or a character from the show dropping in to different podcasts and radio and a a smart skill where you could um, have the you could get roasted by the, the drag queen at home. So really bringing the idea of the show into consumers' homes and connecting in a new way. Um, so real innovation. And I thought, you know, elevating audio, you know, always traditionally radio campaigns, but really elevating that definition of, of what audio is is.
1: You're probably uh, the opposite to Jenny in that amount of time you spend on media, given media is your uh, you know core part of the role, but versus digital and commerce, which you're also uh, involved in, how does it work for you, Sarah?
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously for me, my job, media is a core part of it, but it's still not a hundred percent of what I do, but probably around 60% of my focus would be on you know making sure that we're investing the businesses, money, smartly from a media perspective across all of our brands making sure that they're connected with the work that we're doing in digital commerce so that we're we're thinking about how we move consumers through in into shoppers as well and connecting into our owned ecosystem with websites so a critical part of what we do and and from my Unsurprisingly, I think it's a critical driver of brand success. So, you know, from my perspective, I've certainly seen across my career that media drives brand growth, investing smartly and thinking of it as an investment and not a cost is absolutely critical in building mental availability and brand power uh, for brands.
1: Lisa Ronson, you're a veteran of some of these awards shows and and events. What did you make of what you saw? this year in the MFA round and the categories that you judged, Lisa, give us those up front too.
3: Look, you know, I was lucky. I had a very diverse group of categories from, I had best use of small budget and then ESG and media for good. So I saw some like great diversity in, in the entries. And look, overall, like uh, Jenny and Sarah, I thought that the entries were a very, very high standard. I thought they were they were all written well. Having said that, there was still a spectrum in there around those who were you know, really excellent in terms of the way that they told their story. And uh, you know, as we talked about the other day, sometimes it's really hard with these awards because some clients can't disclose all of the outcomes. And that's really hard because it's effectiveness awards. And so that kind of stilts the outcome a little bit. You think, okay, it's a great result, but you're not sure if it's actually a great result because you can't, get all the data. But I thought some of the themes that the, the girls have already talked about around great collaboration, excellent quality, really well well told stories and some great ideas in there. I thought there was a lot of innovation in different ways. When you look at you know societal categories, the innovation is very different because it's about behavior change rather than commercial results. And so that's why I felt very fortunate to be looking across some really diverse categories but to you know to the point on media it's all well and good to have a great idea but unless you're connecting with your customer it doesn't really matter because no one knows about that idea and you know you were talking about the percentage of time spent on media for me it's always been really important to focus on the media and how the rubber hits the road with the consumer but also the reciprocal of getting the insights from the media they're very close to the customer they know by minute by day, by hour, what the customers are thinking at, around what they're tuning into, what they're tuning out of, and you know, I, a great editor once said to me that traditional media was the first social media. It's true; they get feedback from their customers in real time, and so being connected to that is really important. So for me, I've always spent probably a, quite a large percentage, even though it's never been my sole remit on media, because it's it's that connection with the customer, and that's what's so important about. Media and the media industry.
1: In, in a broad CMO role, you're talking ten percent. Then, Lisa, you know, historically, then are you, probably yeah. more. And
3: you know, in my most recent example of Coles, and then you know, before that, Tourism Australia. It also depends on when the message turns up. So, you know, when people are thinking about what they're going to eat for dinner past three o'clock in the afternoon, when they're getting that anxiety about what am I going to cook for my family, my friends, whatever it might be, you show up in the media around that time, then you're a hero. You do that same thing at seven o'clock in the morning. It's like, well, why are you telling me that? I'm not even thinking about that yet. So it's like how you show up and when you show up. And that's what I think is for me really compelling about media because and, and Tourism Australia, it's interesting when people in Singapore were super hot and they were thinking about coming to Australia in our winter because they just wanted a cool change. You show up in the right season, the right day, the right week, the right month, and it makes all the difference to your message.
1: It triggers, yeah, good points. And so, just in terms of the work you saw, Lisa, in the categories uh, that you judged, what were the standouts? Did you see, any work that you talked about in this, in in the categories you judged, less about commercial um, results and more about behavioural change. Did you see? Obviously, you saw some behavioural change happen as a result of some of the work.
3: Oh, absolutely! If we start with the commercial best use of small budget, I was so impressed. I found it really, really hard to judge because all of the entries were so. So well written, and they were a couple of standouts because for me, the way that um the entry is written so that the judge can assess it quite easily, just in terms of this is what we were trying to achieve, this is what we did, and here were the outcomes, and removing the noise around it wasn't just the season, it wasn't just it was summer, so we sold lots of beverages or whatever it might be. So for me, Roadshow really stuck out in the best use of small budget because- so of- Let
1: me just give you the list winners and all the shortlisted car, uh, brands on that, which is in best use of small budget, Amazon Prime Video with Initiative, Lego again with Nitro from Initiative, uh, Roadshow Films from OMD, and Universal Sony Home Entertainment uh, with Slingshot Media. So that's they were the, the four shortlisted, Lisa, and sorry, continue with your observations.
3: No, I, I thought they were all really, all of those were great. And as I said, it was really hard to judge. And that's always a good thing when you're a judge because it's not just a kind of, a, it's a laydown because they all demonstrated this is what we were trying to achieve. And look, with films, it's probably quite easy because it's like we need to achieve this at the box office. So therefore we did this and then we achieved that. And so it's a really linear kind of equation. But having said that, there was still a lot of innovation in the category. And I just felt – and Lego also was, was great. I, I really enjoyed reading that case study and, and, and watching that case study. And when you get great enjoyment, I think to Jenny's point, when you think, gosh, that's a great campaign, you know, how did they think that up and, you know, what angle were they coming from? But it always comes back to they had a really clear insight. They knew the problem they were trying to solve for. And for me, with all of the entries, when that's very clear up front – then the rest of the story gets told, well, relatively easily because it's always like clocking back to here's what we wanted to achieve and here's what we did achieve. And I think some of the entries did themselves a disservice by getting a little complicated towards the end and not drawing it really clearly back to here were our KPIs. It could be one KPI, it could be two, could be three, could be 10. It doesn't matter as long as they're really clear and the result links back to the KPIs. They were the ones that I gravitated to, I think, whereas some of them were really interesting. But if you didn't have that connection, it was really hard as a as a judge to sort of join the dots. And look, Media for Good and um, ESG, I loved judging those because there was just such a a move to diversity and inclusion and all of the things that we know are really, really important because you know, you can't be what you can't see and, and what we do is, as marketers and, and the, we're very fortunate to be in the industry that we're in, that we can make a difference and we can show society as it really is and not as a shining version of itself. And I just felt that there was a reality and just an honesty and authenticity to ESG and Media for Good and I, I really love them. I mean, there were so many great examples in for Media for Good you know, the Alienware by Dell was a great example. I thought that there were some also in there that didn't make the shortlist that I also loved reading and I loved seeing the results for. And then ESG, again, Dell, um, and Headspace was a really was a fantastic one that, you know, mental health is we all know is such an important thing. And it's great that we're talking about it to the point that it's it, it's showing up in in media and in campaigns. And so I think that's a really positive force for society. And so I really enjoyed those two categories also.
1: And so just on that, the uh, Alienware by Dell leveling the playing field in gaming, what was about that that you liked?
3: I just thought the insight was really clear that women represent a very large proportion of gaming, whereas they weren't represented in the games in the promotion of the games in the whole ecosystem around the games and so whilst it was so simple and you would think that you know in 2022 2023 that that gender diversity could still be an issue was quite surprising but they tackled it head on and made all of these wonderful women that were very involved in gaming feel part of it for the first time and it just connected with them in a really simple way, but a really powerful way. And I, I just felt that that was, it was a really strong entry.
1: Sarah, I think you talked about possibly wanting to see more data-led submissions where the data played a bit more of a central role. Unpack that for us a bit. What did or didn't you see?
2: Yeah, I was surprised that I didn't see more data-led So you know, a company's own data, or being used within the campaign. So definitely saw great insights and saw a really strong array for a lot of uh, campaigns of results or data used for results, but really didn't see, you know, first party data or the use of, of third party data as an integral part of the campaign. And I was surprised by that because it's such a priority across a lot of categories. And it's also, you know, a big theme of where agencies have been upskilling. Yeah, we all talk about it, So I was surprised that it didn't come through in, certainly in the the categories that I judged. There was only one or two where it'd been a a kind of critical part of what they'd done. And even then it, it wasn't really central So, yeah, I was surprised.
1: Why do you think that's happening? What's that about, Sarah? I mean, why is that?
2: I don't know whether it's it's sort of hard to talk about because obviously it's it's information that in some cases can be confidential. Whether it's just assumed that it's happening and it doesn't it doesn't feel worthy to be in in a campaign, um, in a campaign case study. And obviously, I didn't judge best use of data, and I'm sure in there those so. categories yes, have you'd one hope one that there'd, there'd be well. a lot in there. But I was just surprised that it didn't come through in you know something like integrated, where you know. It's so a lot of channels. It's critical to think about targeting within there that that there wasn't more data-led activities.
1: Jenny Dill, did you see that in what you were looking at um, in your categories?
2: Yeah, I think
0: um, in the categories I judged, Best content strategy was more of an, a, an event or a stunt or a finite period of time, so it was a little easier to measure to the comments Lisa was making before. There was, a, there was often a, bit, a start, and a beginning, and a middle, and an end of it, um, so it was a bit more easy to get hands around and, and share that data. I think on the brand impact category, I think there was a widespread of the amount of data that was there to support the case, and some of that was just in the nature of the cases themselves. You know, things like the Lego Goes Nitro case had a very, very different set of tools and things it could measure with events and getting kids engaged versus the apparel Spritz example where they were literally ferrying people around in Melbourne. So I think there was some very different cases with very different levels of data, but it was probably grounded in the actual case itself rather than any lack of data. What I didn't see was things that were grounded in data as the starting point. So I think there was a really good strategic thought about it that might have been grounded in data but was and the insight was never expressed that way. So I think you know I is your starting point the data or is you're using the data to measure the cases it's more what
3: I saw.
1: Yeah and Lisa your your categories would probably be less data you wouldn't have seen that much right and there, was there a need for it I guess.
3: Yeah or well, best use of small budget absolutely but in the other two there were a lot it was there was a lot of data there but it was a lot of societal impact and change, which is the the best data there is really. But I think the the broader issue is the one that I sort of raised with you and I have raised with you many times, Paul, is that, you know, sometimes you work for organisations that have really solid entries but you can't share the outcomes because they're commercially sensitive because you might work in an industry where there's very few players and it's very commercially important not to share that because it's got broader results for the organization on the share price and all those sorts of things. So there's reasons why you can't share some data. And so it's really hard to mask that. And so it's difficult because there are some organizations where they're very transparent and they're able to share all of their data getting compared to ones that can't share it and have to do things like, oh, sales uplifted by three times during this period. And that's really hard when you've got someone saying, we wanted to achieve this at the box office. We achieved this at the box office and you go, well, that's a you know open and shut case versus someone that's like, well, we know it really worked and we feel very positive about it, but we can't share the actual data. And I think that's an issue that we're always going to face. We've faced it for, for all of the years that I've been judging these, which has been a long time. It's, it's getting better, but I don't think it's ever going to be an issue that we can solve for completely.
1: And so should, and to all the judges, to all the panellists here, I mean, should those agencies and companies even then submit if they can't do that? Do you have any, any guidance on that for those sort of submissions? Or if they should, how best to articulate without articulating?
0: Yeah, I think there's some great work there that should get shared. And the lack of transparency of data shouldn't hold back great thinking, great innovation and submission for awards. I think you've got to find a way of indexing it without giving away any confidential information that can influence markets or anything like that, you know, can you find a way to index it to talk specifically about the case and isolate as much as you can?
1: Did you see that happening, Jenny, or would you like to see more of that happening in the submissions you saw, the indexing, you know?
0: Yeah, we'd always like to see more of it, I think, where you can't share actual results. It's the only way I can think of that shows a delta over time without being
1: too specific. Yeah. Sarah, your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think in Best Integrated, it's 40% of the marks, impact and effectiveness. And so I think, you know, it's absolutely critical that you're able to demonstrate the impact that the campaign had and that you're able. And we had quite a rigorous discussion in, in our judging panel around the role that media played so that, you know, it's important that you're able to discount other variables, you know, discount a price promotion that happened at the same time, or, or you know, no other competitive activity, or lots of competitive activity. It's, it's important you're able to discount those variables so you can isolate the impact of media. And I agree with Jenny. I think you know finding a way to index it, finding a way to demonstrate the scale of the campaign is is critical. And you know when these are awards where. The effectiveness is so important. I mean, you have to be able to demonstrate that within your story in order to to allow your work to be showcased on this stage.
1: The big one, I guess, is there's a lot of talk about the need for bravery, innovation, taking risks, creativity. Do we see an uptick, a downtick or a line ball on that? What's the general state on that appetite to change things up given the environment that we have been in and are heading into. So yeah, maybe start with Lisa on that.
3: Look, line ball. And I think that's that's a good result given the economic conditions that we're we're faced with, what we've just come out of with the pandemic and yeah, unprecedented, all those sorts of things. I think line ball is actually a good result. We haven't regressed, which probably would be a natural state with all of the uncertainty that's going on in the world at the moment. So I think that's That's actually live ball is a brave result for the entries for this year. I know that sounds a little strange, but I do think that, you know, despite all of that, there was some really fresh thinking. It was a lot of interesting thinking, a lot of, you know, to the point we were making on on results. There were some fantastic results that came out of it, which you implement a great media strategy and an overall great customer strategy, and you get the result and you drive business growth. That is bravery in itself.
1: Mm. Sarah, would you agree with Lisa on line ball? We could have some tension here, and you could disagree, of course.
2: <laughs> well, uh, it's a long time since I've judged. Um, so, in terms of how how it compares to previous years, I'm I'm going to go with Lisa and say it's line ball. But I guess my observations uh, would be that there were some real pockets of bravery and fresh thinking. There was also, you know, what I would call really good day job like really solid work, really delivered, whether it is breakthrough work. I felt like there was some real breakthrough work and then there was a lot of really good, solid thinking. And I think I think that's important because that works. We know that that we know that that works and you could see that from the campaign results as well. And I think in the current climate, you know, you, it, that, that, I think that that's important, that that sort of work is also recognised as well.
3: As you know, Sarah said, in the current environment, you know, line ball is brave because it's easy just to revert back to doing safe stuff that's boring that doesn't actually achieve anything. But a lot of these entries, in what I judged, a, a high proportion of them, were doing you know fresh things, but in a tough economic climate, so maybe not pushing the boundaries as much as what they could. But that's brave as well in the current economic conditions. Jenny Deal. yeah, for me. Um...
0: When I looked at some of the things that I went, I wish I'd done that, I wish I'd thought of that, that to me felt like there was some real freshness of thinking, whether whether the organisation had its back to the wall and was going all in on that one thing, probably not. But in terms of the freshness of thinking, I think sometimes that is the mother of, the necessity is the mother of invention when it comes to needing to cut through the clutter in increasingly fragmented environment. You need to be able to deliver results and impact and you need to be able to measure it I think that can create the right opportunity to to innovate. And I think there were some great examples of that in the cases that I read, particularly in the brand impact section. There was also some some brands that stuck to some really good fundamentals, you know, things that they knew that would work, but applied a slightly fresh lens or a slightly fresh approach on it to deliver some really great results. And I think in the current environment, that's got to be celebrated.
1: What is happening in the in the current economic climate? Consumer expenditure, discretionary and essential spending. What are we seeing happening on? And is there is there some change, some real time change from say Arlits and what how you're going to market because of what's happening in the economy? That is said with a caveat that I think things like Tim Tams and Shapes are booming. I think in in supermarkets, right? So you're sort of a, probably a good tale of. The contrarianness that's going on out there um, with consumers. Um, give us your, your top line take on on the spending bit.
0: Yeah, so I think the context for for me is over ninety five percent of our portfolio is sold for a price under five dollars. So we represent great value. What we're seeing in the broad environment with consumers in general out there is a general tightening of the belt, regardless of your income, regardless of um, what disposable income levels you've got, everyone is tightening their belt. And they're really applying a lens of where they get value and what they really need and what goes in the nice to have bucket or in the old pocket to later bucket and making choices on a week to week paycheck to paycheck basis on what they're going to spend their hard earned on. For us as a portfolio, because we are so affordable and we represent great value, I think we're seeing it as a growth opportunity. We still need to be, you know, do amazing marketing work, work really well with our sales team, work with our cross-functional partners and everything else to bring it to life. But we do see opportunity as we head into tough times for us. Again, we're not. We're trying to keep our prices low. We're trying to keep things affordable. We're trying to make sure they bring those delicious moments to life with consumers because what we're seeing is a lot of flight to home. So people are spending more time at home. They're spending more time on the couch, more time with the nearest and dearest, whether it's flatmates or family and friends, and just entertaining from the home more than going out and spending on those big ticket items they probably would have a year or two ago, in, even in the peak of COVID when... Um, when we were allowed out yeah, people yeah. were still spending quite freely we're just seeing that tightening of the belt because rents or mortgages have gone up so much that it's just forcing people to make tough choices each week on the on what they do with their pay
1: so the trigger for the growth say in tim tams and and shapes for instance is that is that the economics kicking in or is that something different you're doing with your marketing and product
0: yeah i think you know what we're seeing is people returning to things that they know and love so a little bit less experimental, a little bit safer decisions with what you're doing with your paycheck week to week. And, you know, we're we're lucky that our brands have been around for decades and we've always had a really strong place in consumers' minds. And then there's some great stuff we're doing with flavour innovation, displays, promotions. We're doing all of that to make sure that we are, you know, really capitalising on the opportunity with our brands to do more and to really create those Delicious moments and that small moment of joy in everyone's lives every day or every every
3: week.
1: Mm, okay, and Lisa, some macro observations from you. On, um, you're tapped into all sorts of places. So, what what's your sensibility on this?
3: Yeah, look, I think in general consumers are a bit scared of what's coming because it's we've been talking about it, you know, coming out of the pandemic and the talks of recession and those sorts of things, and that that does scare people and rightly so. So, in my view, they're trading down on the the stuff they don't really care that much about, you know, the more commodities in their pantry and those sorts of things, they're trading down on those things to be able to, you know, as Jenny said, spend more time at home and maybe spend a little bit more on that cut of meat or, you know, the, their fresh fruit and, fruit and vegetables and things like that. So those trade-offs I think will continue and the, as they always do, like they did, uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic when nobody knew what was what was coming Nobody knows what's actually coming from a, um, an economic point of view. It started to bite, obviously, with the interest rate hikes. And so people are just prioritising quite differently to what they normally would. And so the things they don't care about, they're not spending as much on. And the things that they do care about in terms of putting a nice meal on the table for their family, they're prioritising. And, and possibly for a section of the community going out and eating a little bit less than what they would have been you know this time last year and so it's all about that the game of prioritization in every family and i think every family's feeling that quite differently and um, they're adjusting their lifestyles accordingly
1: well we'll see what the next six months brings won't we uh jenny dill sarah Sorensen, lisa ronson thanks for joining we'll test your media prowess maybe next year in the next round but um stay safe and thanks guys This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free.
2: Listener.